Hello, and welcome to Adrian Has Issues. I'm Adrian, as always. I teased this back with my guest on episode 10. This was going back maybe a month or two ago. She is the writer artist on an awesome book called Flat Track Furies, and we are both massive fans, as we found out at the end of the episode. Uh, we're both massive fans of the Fast and the Furious franchise, so I figure we're going to talk a little bit about the most recent one, Furious 7, and everything about these awesomely terrible, awesome movies. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Mariah Hummer. Mariah, how's it going? It's going good. Thanks, Adrian. Yeah, I am really excited to be talking about the Fast and the Furious today. Um, because it's kind of like a huge outlier of a movie, you know, you kind of think, oh, well, it's just, you know, like an action movie, another action movie with like cars and like a bunch of buff dudes. Um, but actually has like a lot of really unique things about it. So yeah, I'm excited. So first and foremost, did you see Furious 7? Of course I did. All right. I figured since that's the one that was most recent, yeah. I figured we'll just jump straight into it. This movie, I've, I, I think I joked about it on another, another episode where... I came into this flick expecting, of course, you know, guns, cars, you know, funny lines, and I've never been so emotionally, like, I wouldn't say conflicted, but yeah, that one tugs at the heartstrings a little bit. Yeah, actually, it, it really did. Um, I mean, if you want to jump, like, right to the ending, we totally can. I was not expecting to be as emotionally attached at the end um, when they did, um, you know, the whole goodbye to Paul Walker and that was Khalifa song is playing. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. It like, I, I, I thought it was, it was really tasteful. And I also thought the lyrics when he says, uh, not the lyrics, sorry. Um, the dialogue when, when um, Paul Walker like pulls up next to Vin Diesel and he goes, what you were just going to leave without saying goodbye. And I was like, that's oh. where, that's where it got me right there. Yeah. Like, oh. Because it actually happened. Like that's probably how Vin Diesel felt. He was probably like, Parker, like he he left us all without saying goodbye. I mean, they've done seven movies together, so they have to be like kind of a close knit cast, right? And that's just kind of the beauty of the series because a lot of movies. I mean, I can't think of any other long running series that has pretty much had a fairly consistent cast. I guess maybe the what the Harry Potter films, maybe Lord of the Rings, you know, stuff like you know your sci fi epics or your fantasy movies, but. I never would have thought I would have cared this much for characters from a cheesy movie from like 2000 where like an L.A. you know street gang was boosting like DVD players. I don't even know what the, was it DVD players or VCRs. It was all sorts of of electronics. <laughs> um, yeah, it. I don't know. It's um, it has been a pretty consistent cast. Um, I will admit that like once we hit number five, the cast got really big. You know, like it kind of all of a sudden they took everybody from the movies and they put them all in one movie, except for like, you know, Lucas Black um, and Lil Bow Wow. But um, but yeah, I don't know. The cast got really big in five, remained big in six, remained big, big in seven. They did get rid of Giselle, which is like the worst thing in the entire world. But yeah, other than that, everyone has, has kind of stuck around. And like, I have kind of noticed, especially in like six and seven, that like Ludacris and like, especially Tyrese. He has significantly less dialogue um, than before, but that's probably just because, you know, it's there's like a ton of cast members now. 
Yeah, that was kind of unfortunate. I guess at the same time, though, I was I kind of applauded the career choice because Ludacris in general, when we see him in Too Fast, Too Furious, he's kind of like the organizer, you know, he's the money man, you know, everything's going through his garage. Got like the giant afro with the pick, and he was awesome in that movie, but it was cool how they kind of upgraded him to now he's like this really awesome tech expert. Yeah, yeah. He has probably had some of the most significant like character growth, I think, out of all the characters, if, you know, outward of anything. He did kind of start off as like this, I don't know, just like this like street guy that like owned his garage and he was just like taking it day by day, you know, did a lot of like, like gambling things, you know, at his, at his garage. He wasn't always on the up and up, but, but yeah, he, he did kind of upgrade into this, into this more valuable character. And I do think he made a really interesting comment when, do you know that scene in Furious 7 or Fast 7 or whatever, Furious 7? I think it's, yeah, Fury 7. Right. <laughs> when the the beautiful girl from Game of Thrones, I should know her name, you know, she comes out in the bikini. She's like, you know, the hacker of the movie. Oh, well, um, what was her name? Um, was it Ramsey? Yes, Ramsey. And, you know, and, she, and she's in the bikini and Tyrese is like, man, I didn't know, you know, like geeks could look like that. And Ludacris kind of high fives all the geeks in the world because he's like, what do geeks look like? Like, can you tell me? You know, and he kind of like bashes the stereotype in like one little sentence. Um, so I, I, he said that line and Paul looked at me and like smiled and like made a, made a yes fist, you know? He's like, we've made it. Like in the theater, he was like, yes. You know, so. Yeah, that was really cool because up to that point, I'm thinking to myself, in most movies, they would have taken like Paul Walker's character, thrown some really thick glasses on him, and probably like a button-down shirt and stuck him behind a computer. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, in, it's funny that we talk about Ludacris and how his character evolved. But it kind of is so indicative of the entire series because by the time you get to Furious 7, I almost kind of forget how it all started so it was this really weird kind of juxtaposition watching the early movies and i'm like wow we went from you know street races in la and boosting electronics equipment to you know dealing with shadow government agencies <laughs> and uh you know these weird like ai programs i don't even know what the hell is going on but it's usually this kind of change in a series would probably cripple it horribly but I, I still can't figure out how it works. Um, I would like to ask you a question. Which which Fast and Furious movie do you think is the last believable Fast and Furious movie? Because me and Paul debate about this a lot. Oh, that's tough. Mm -hmm. like, 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 which one just jumped the shark and you were like, okay, like, we're in it for the action long haul. Like, it's just going to be crazy from here on out. I think it's four. I think four is the last believable one because four gets really into, you know, international drug smuggling, um, which actually isn't really too far off from number one. Like, they're still smuggling, you know, they're still kind of like running merchandise, um, right. you know, through cars and stuff. And so I don't know, like four doesn't really seem that far fetched. And there aren't really a whole lot of action scenes where I'm like, nope, that would never happen. You're wrong. You know, like four is still pretty believable to me. Um, and I, th I think five is the one that, that kind of jumps the shark. Um, but Paul maintains that five is still believable. That I'll see. Oh, that's actually a good argument because all right. I'll, the way I see it four, mm -hmm. four. I mean, everybody talks about how, you know, Tokyo Drift is the odd duck of the series. It really is. But I, to tell you the truth, as I, <laughs> I see, I can't, now, great, my, you've already punched the major hole in my argument. <laughs> the, uh, 
by the time you get to four, like to me, four really does feel even stranger than I think even Tokyo Drift ever did. By that time, you could tell, all right, they want to keep the Fast and the Furious name because it's profitable, but they don't have any of the cast. So, you know, it was a bit of a gamble, but then you see Vin Diesel at the end, everything's awesome again. And by this time, everybody's now saying, oh, shoot, remember how great that first movie was with the whole cast? And I feel like 4, other than kind of reestablishing that first story, doesn't really have much else going for it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, 4, four is definitely the comeback of, like, the Fast and Furious franchise as we know it today. Because you have 1, which is a great movie, especially by itself. Um, right. You know, it's, it's open and closed. Um, then you have 2, which is kind of like, okay, we made a sequel. Like, Vin Diesel's not in it. I, but it's like... Tyrese is in it. Like, okay, fine. Like, fine. We'll we'll, we'll accept number two. Okay. <laughs> we're not happy about it, but we'll take yeah, it. Yeah, we're not happy about it, but we'll take it. And then three happens, and like, I don't know. Did did three originally bomb? Because I feel like it did. I feel like it was on Netflix or something. I, I don't know. Like, there's something about three where I'm like, I actually hated three, except for Han. Han is like my favorite character, but three I just found really annoying. Because they were, in which way? What was so aggravating about it is you have number four, and then you have number five, and Han is in number five, and they it immediately legitimized three. And matter of fact, I think very briefly, Han is even in four. Or it's possible, yeah. Yeah, in the very beginning, like when they're stealing the gas tank. Oh, right, in like Puerto Rico or whatever. Yeah, and after that job, he's kind of like, you know, he kind of sends him on his way. Right. He says... It's a blink and you miss a cameo. Right, and he's like, well, I heard they're doing some crazy stuff in Tokyo. And then I guess the writers were like, forget, we're just going to bring Han back. Like, we're just going to bring him back in a big way. But yeah, it, it was weird because it like completely legitimized Tokyo Drift. And I think we all kind of wanted to forget about Tokyo Drift. But now, you know, we can't. We, we just can't. I think originally they wanted to, but I don't know at what point... See, I don't know too much of some of the behind the scenes choices that were made because I get the feeling that three probably would have been disregarded other than just that quick cameo by Vin Diesel at the end. Mm -hmm. And I think at some point, I guess maybe they're like, well, they probably saw it within themselves. All right. Nobody in this movie is that popular except for Han. People seem to really like this guy, and they were kind of bummed out when he died. Gosh, he was so likable. He really was. So I think when they brought him back, I think they're like, well, shit, we can't really bring him back without explaining why he's alive. So I guess we'll kind of make these prequels without telling people that they're prequels. Yeah, I, I don't really know what the whole decision, um, like the, what the decision-making process was like. Um, but I have to admit, it really wasn't as as bad as it could have been. Like, I, I think they did a pretty okay job of establishing the timeline. You know, even though it was a little bit awkward, like, it didn't it didn't feel like it was too much of a stretch. I'm sorry. I just pulled up the IMDb page for uh, Tokyo Drift. Okay. And the first thing it mentions is, after poor test screenings, Universal Pictures asked Vin Diesel to make a cameo appearance to boost its box office potential. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Diesel agreed to appear if Universal would relinquish the rights to the Riddick franchise to him. Wow. Oh, that's how he got Riddick. Okay. All right. That makes that makes a lot of sense. And supposedly they wanted Paul Walker, but um, 
They didn't want it because he was too old at this point. It says, Paul Walker wasn't asked to return. They felt he was too old. The first draft of the script featured the return of Vin Diesel's character. So, wow. They really just... They, I mean, it, it's funny because it's almost like they bet on the wrong horse, but it ended up working out in the end. Because, like, I mean, the Fast and the Furious franchises are some of, like, it is one of the most highest grossing franchises of all time. And Vin Diesel's, like, over 40. You know? And, like, that's... I mean, it's... I mean, I don't think that that's very far-fetched because, like, Bruce Willis had, you know, a huge action career, you know, well after he was 40. Um, you know, there are a lot of actors that, you know, are 40 years older. But um, I was reading that, like, their audience is mainly young men. Like, they're they're catering toward young men. And so maybe that's the reason why they didn't want, um, you know, Paul Walker and they felt he was a little bit too old. They wanted something, somebody with, like, a fresher face really did feel like a weird decision to put him at the end as if it wasn't planned so i guess they probably just shot it really quick it's like here sit in this car and just kind of just say these two lines boom yeah and there is something like very cathartic about him showing up though because like you you watch this movie and you're like okay well cool like great and then he like rolls up in this huge you know muscle car you know lucas black says I didn't know Han was into American muscle and he, you know, Vin Diesel rolls up in like his, his deep voice and he goes, he was when he was rolling with me and you're like, ah, like, I don't know. There's something, <laughs> there's something about it that like, it was like really comforting. I don't know. That scene pretty much legitimized that entire movie for, I think for a lot of people. Yeah. Gosh, it was just so, it, it was kind of a bait and switch, but I guess it worked out. <laughs> I yeah, I try to defend three a lot. I tried to, but I realized I don't really have too many horses in that race because I, I tried watching it again because I think it was on HBO a few times. And I'm like, you know what? This is not very good. Yeah, and I don't know what it is about Lucas Black's accent, but it drives me crazy. I don't know. <laughs> He's got like one of those really like way past the Mason Dixon Southern accents. Like that's about as deep South as it gets. Yeah. And it's like really slow and it's almost like it prohibited from, it prohibited him from actually acting. I don't know. Like it, it seemed like he couldn't put emotions into it because he was trying so hard to just like get the dialect right. I don't know. Is that his normal accent? I think it is. Yeah. Okay. Maybe not then. I don't know. Now what's funny going back to Furious 7 is, and I should have thrown up a spoiler alert, but by now, if you haven't seen these movies, that's a, that's your problem. Yeah. But that scene when Vin Diesel, of course, goes to Japan to, you know, try to, I guess, bring uh, bring back Han's body when he's talking to Lucas Black. It's funny, this scene takes place over what? Over, it's like a decade since they filmed that originally. But yet, it's supposed to take place like mere minutes after that race. It's oh, like yeah. Drift, and you can already see kind of like Lucas Black's hairline. I'm like, where did they go there? Yeah, and like Vin Diesel's like way beefier. You know, like he's, yeah, if you look at like the original Fast and Furious movies, like he's, he's big, but he's still kind of like, like a trim, like a trimmer young man. Um, whereas like you can kind of see the age, like in his jawline, you know, in the other ones. And so I, I kind of would, I, I should probably, okay, well, obviously like that's why I can't cause it isn't released yet, but, um, I would really like to watch that scene at the end of Tokyo Drift and then freeze frame it and then bring up that scene in Fast 7 and just, like, look at how different they look now. I think that'd be really interesting. That would be. What I'm going to have to do, though, is just take all the movies and make an edit 
and try to put it in chronological Oh, my gosh. If somebody made that, I don't know if it would be as interesting, but I would certainly watch it at least once. You know, like, it, 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 it could be, like, the reverse machete order. But still, going back to f- 4 was a lot of... F- I do appreciate 4 because, of course, it did establish uh, Giselle's character, and I kind of forgot that she originally, you know, had a thing for Dominic before he kind of shut her down and what had to be one of the most interesting ways possible. Right. <laughs> Like, if I were on the receiving end of that, I would have just cried because he really just made her feel terrible. Right. But it was also like, I don't know. It's it's almost like he he did shut her down pretty hard. But the way that he did it just made it seem like, look, I'm just in love with somebody else, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I was going to try to do the line, but I can't do his voice. And I, I sound like I'm, I'm sick if I try to do the Vin Diesel voice. <laughs> It's like, God, those eyes to see past the bullshit. Like, I can't even do it. Like, right. And she's like, that doesn't sound like me at all. And he's like, it ain't. And you're like, oh, snap. Like, poor Giselle. Because she's obviously beautiful. And she's like, oh, she's gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. She's fantastic. Um, something that I found really interesting is um, I was I was kind of wondering, you know, like, why the franchises have been so successful. Other than the fact that they're just, like, huge action movies. And so I was I was talking about it with somebody, and because that's what I do in my spare time, I talk about the Fast and Furious. Um, <laughs> but I came across an article that was saying that part of the reason why it's so successful is because it has a di- it has a diverse cast. It's not just like a bunch of white dudes staring at each other. And I hadn't really thought about that. But let me let me actually just give you some numbers real quick. And this is like the percentage of like ethnicities that went and saw the movie, it was 37% Hispanic, 24% um, African-American, 10% Asian, and 25% white, and 4% is other. Um, so I thought that that was really interesting. Uh, those are worldwide numbers. Yeah, it is wow, really astounding. And I think that's why it's so successful is because like people want to go see people of other races in movies. And I, I thought that that was just like super refreshing, you know, so often I'm watching a movie and like, I'll count like how many white people are in it and like leading roles and stuff. And, I, and I'm and, like, <laughs> you don't notice it um, unless you really look for it, at least like as a white person, I'm sure somebody who isn't white would notice it a lot faster but yeah, it's it's crazy. And done in a way where it's not kind of obvious, because there are some movies you can tell where, you know, they throw it in where, okay, I'm sure at some point they, they know they're going to get in trouble. Be like, okay, hey, we're diverse. See, we've got, you know, a woman here. Or we have, hey, there's a black guy. I mean, he only has two lines in the beginning of the movie, but hey, he's there. Yeah, yeah. And there are actually, like, no white women in it, right? You have, like, Jordana Brewster. Um, you know, she actually might be like halfway, I think, but you know, and you have Letty, um, you also have Elena and she's, she's like legit Brazilian, I think. Yeah. And you also have Giselle. I think the only white woman that's been in it was the villain in six. And she ended up, you know, she was like the rocks, um, like, you know, partner. She has actually been like the only like white person. I don't know. It's just kind of like, it's kind of awesome. Um, you just kind of get all of these cool women that are, you know, of, of different ethnicities, which I really, really like. I 
I'm completely just blown away because I'm still reeling thinking about Seven. Well, I mean, I'll get all the Paul Walker stuff aside because just that whole time I'm trying to think, well, I know they're not going to kill him off, but I was kind of both exhilarated, but also a little disappointed with how I can't remember. Oh, Jason Statham's character? Jason Statham's character. Gosh. Um, yeah, I can't remember what was his name in that movie. Wow, we're just, I, I'm I so clear. Whatever, I don't know. It's like... <laughs> But, but they, of course, set him up to be, like, this major badass. And that very strange opening scene, which, to me, was half laughable, but also kind of frightening, where, you know, he's, of course, in next to his, um, his brother, whom I didn't realize survived that... The, yeah, but then the there's dead, and there's, like, TV dead. I thought he was dead. So, like, obviously they were going to make him magically show up in, like, a hospital bed, so that one day he can wake up, you know, and, like do whatever his name was Shaw but yeah that's that was actually like Shaw, kind of super it. annoying because I don't think I'd want to see him as a villain again like I like I don't I wouldn't want them to reuse him as a villain at least that's just my personal experience I was less worried about him being the villain because okay of course he's playing the role of the, the pissed off older brother who was a come you know to avenge the family and of course, they set it up with the whole hospital scene, like he's his major badass. I think my issue with him is they treated him a lot like they did, like let's say the T one thousand and like Terminator two, where it seemed like he was always in like oh, the yeah, right yeah. place, like at the it was right time. And like that's kind of what you get after four is you kind of just get these you know superhuman characters. They come out of like re really crazy situations, and it's exactly like the Die Hard movies. Like the first Die Hard, that could totally happen. Like it could totally legit happen. You know, Bruce Willis is able to kind of like best these people by taking them out one at a time. You know, it's totally plausible. Would it probably happen? No, but yeah, it like it could. Um, and then by the last Die Hard, it's just like he's invincible and he jumps off a Harrier jet and survives. Like it's. It, it just becomes too escalated. And so sometimes, like, the characters can just get really annoying because they just aren't even believable anymore. I, I guess it was a good enough motivation for him just to obviously avenge his brother, who at this point I assume wasn't dead, probably in a coma, even though he did right? somehow survive a plane exploding. But 50 mile <laughs> runway or whatever. But. <laughs> Yeah, seriously. <laughs> the longest runway in recorded history. But I get it. You know, he's, of course, the, you know, the angry sibling. He's going after him. And, and a little bit of exposition, you know, that he's this hard-ass, you know, special forces kind of guy. But, okay, you get it. That's sort of what he is. But there's still really very little depth to him, which I guess there's so much going on with the main cast that the villain sort of took a sidestep. But I didn't really feel much of anything for that crew. Even at least with his brother in six, okay, you realize, you know, he's running his team. But why does he even care? Like, why is he even doing this? Like, we got no um, character background on him. So, like, to us, we're like, okay, he has no other motivation um, other than to just, like, fill this shallow role because Vin Diesel and Paul Walker need a baddie to show up. Right, and it could have worked because Statham and Vin Diesel going at it is is pretty awesome in its own right. And then a rock show. Yeah, up. yeah, exactly. But, I, mean, you um, give him something I was actually kind of surprised because I thought Kurt Russell was gonna like turn on them and be evil, but he wasn't, which makes me think uh, obviously That's he's gonna thought. be in eight. You know, he's gonna be in the next one, and we'll kind of get a little bit more juice from him. But yeah, yeah, Shaw Shaw's a really hard character to kind of sink your teeth into. 
I kind of wish they had given us a little bit of like, I kind of wish they had made us like, like Sean a little bit, you know, just a little bit. And I think that would have made things a little bit more, more interesting. But that was also my complaint with Six though, but granted his brother, yes, he wasn't the most well-rounded of antagonists. But at the end of the day, you at least kind of get the impression, here's a guy who is doing a job and doesn't necessarily hold any real empathy towards anybody because there was that one guy who gets killed. And, you know, Letty's like, of course, he tells him, oh, so-and-so didn't make it. And he's like, all right, well, tough shit. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you're going to give us all the same speech when we go out? Right. And Letty is well aware of his, you know, cold-blooded, cold-blooded aspects. You know, she's not surprised or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. It is a little bit more than we got from Statham. That was probably the most ridiculous beginning, though. Like, I understand that Statham is like special forces. Like, wow, what an incredibly well-bred family that like one ends up being like this crazy villain and the other one is just like a fantastic, you know, special forces kind of guy. But I almost found him going into the hospital and like destroying everything, like kind of frustrating. I was kind of hoping he would be a little bit more of a ghost. Right. That would kind of make a lot more sense. Kind of like the assassins they always seem to bring out in the Born, uh, the Jason Bourne movies. I like those. I don't know. Because because you you don't expect them. And that's kind of what makes them so frightening. Um, is because they come out of the woodwork so quickly and you're not prepared for it. Right. Because you figured there was at least a dozen people in the hospital. There's no way in the, in the world unless he has just he had like a, uh, a bandolier full of like grenades or something. <laughs> Right. That he could have ever dispatched those guys without coming out without a scratch. And by that point, I kind of figured, well, since this is starting a new trilogy, there's kind of no going back to any of the, I guess, what you would consider the believable, less fantastical movies at this point. Yeah. Um. I mean, now, ever since we we jumped the shark in, in five with, like, the safe. So, wait, is that you consider that to be the jump the shark moment with the, them dragging the safe? I do. I know that some people maintain that it's still believable, but I just think that there are too many factors that could just not work with that entire scene. I don't know. That's that's the okay. Yeah, that's the moment where I'm just like, okay, no. Like even even at the beginning of five, where they're stealing the um, the cars off of the trains, it's not like it would be really difficult to do. Um, but it was like obvious that they were having like a really hard time with it. And I don't know, like, I, I feel like I could see that happening. Yes. Um, I could see that too. Yeah. But yeah, the safe, the safe for me at the end of five is like the last, the last straw. <laughs> yeah. The, the jump to shark moment for me had to be probably the tank in six. Oh yeah. And they like fly over that, um, that bridge. Like they fly over that empty space between the two freeways yeah, and they have that tank. I mean, the most unbelievable scene to date might have to be driving the car through the Dubai skyscrapers. Yes. Where was he going to go? <laughs> like, And that's my thing. If this was done, like, okay, if this scene was done in, I don't know, New York or maybe another metropolitan area where there's a lot of skyscrapers and he's driving through buildings. You know, we've seen that before. And even, hell, I think they did that in one of the Lethal Weapon movies. But point being... It would kind of make sense, but you have several, like, three skyscrapers in the middle of a desert. Yeah, and, like, they're, they're, um, I mean, it, it is, like, the Dubai Tower, right? Or is it not? 
I think that was definitely the tower. I think that was the same one from uh, Mission Impossible. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah, it, like that was kind of um, a crazy moment for me. And then um, at the end, I'm sure there were all sorts of like crazy things happening. But yeah, it's weird how like you go from it's weird how you go from like the first movie where they're just like stealing VCRs, and all the way that like you're at seven, and yeah, you have like you know the god's eye the magical software that can just like track you no matter what which like would be just crazy impossible but um but yeah it's um it's kind of amazing how they go from boosting electronics um you know to being on most wanted lists i don't know it's just it's really interesting but while and most and this is what's crazy about it because a lot of series for instance die hard you mentioned it yourself the first one i'll even give you maybe like let's say the first three because at least there was that, that whole thing of he was this sort of reluctant hero getting dragged into these stupid situations. Right. Mm-hmm. Fine, I'll take that. But then by four, and then definitely by five, where five at this point, he no longer becomes reluctant. Like, he's literally going out of his way to cause problems, which is way out of character. But again, like uh, you can't really believe it anymore because at this point, half the things that happened in that movie would have killed him. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think in four, you know, Paul Walker is like having like his another crisis of faith. We definitely see in the first one that like, although he enjoys being a cop and like he thinks it's the right thing to do, like he, he starts to realize that like the world is not black and white. And like, you know, so he, he kind of has like this, you know, this moral crisis in number one. And in number two, it's it's actually pretty cut and dry. But I, I kind of think that that four is so necessary because Dom, you know, Vin Diesel's character is like the character that challenges Brian. Like he challenges the world that he lives in and he is constantly learning from Vin Diesel, which is which is really what we see in number four, where he, you know, he asked Letty, um, you know, to, to run this job for him um, or, you know, Letty came to him to get Don back or whatever. And he's caught in this like really, really similar, you know, crisis of faith. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I, I definitely do believe Paul Walker's journey in essence. I can definitely agree. And I think that's where to me, by the time we get to four, mm-hmm. His story, in a way, almost kind of ends. Or I shouldn't, I shouldn't say maybe four, maybe like let's say end of four, beginning of five. Okay. Is it about Walker? Yes. Okay. Like as far as his overall arc, because it's like, I guess at the end of the day, they're still kind of playing him as sort of the lead. Like, you know, it's his conflict. Okay. Of, you know, like you said, torn between being a cop and then I guess also this loyalty that he's developed for this crime family, <laughs> for, for lack of a better term. But then he kind of chooses a side because at the end, they arrest Dominic. He could have easily gone back to the FBI, let everything go from there. But yet, yeah, he's, of course, with you know uh, Mia and I can't remember who, oh, the other two guys who were driving the other car when, at this point, I honestly thought the whole point of the end of four was they were just sort of driving out of solidarity. I didn't necessarily think they were going to break him out. Oh, yeah. I I wasn't really um, prepared for that, but I was excited that it happened. Yeah, like, at the end of four, like, Paul Walker really decides, you know, who his family is and, like, you know, what kind of... I mean, as a result, you know, he decides what kind of life he wants to lead. Um, and you don't really see at the beginning of five that they're not... You know, they're not doing so well, you know, and that's when they kind of like get the old band back together, you know, and start 
start really doing some stuff, um, and that's when they make the headline, and so it makes sense that Shaw um, and Six is so interested in them. Um, yeah, like, I I don't necessarily find the sequence of events to be unbelievable as much as I just find the stunts to be unbelievable. I guess that's sort of indicative to most sequels where, unfortunately, they always kind of have to kind of go bigger than the last one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But we've got, supposedly, we have two more movies, because I guess Seven was supposed to have started a new uh, trilogy, so we have two more, and I'm kind of like, we're sort of running out of crazy. Yeah, we really are running out of crazy, and so I don't, I don't really know whether, um, I don't really know whether, like, eight or nine are going to hold, are going to hold any weight. I don't know. Like, I feel like we went so extreme with Seven. The Like, anything that, I mean, they, they like, they drove cars out of a plane and and landed on a road somehow with parachutes. Like, it, it's, it's gotten so crazy that, like, I don't, I, I honestly don't know. I hope that 8 and 9 are good, but, like, I don't know if they're going to be. Well, from what I understand, from what I at least heard, is that your uh, your favorite Lucas Black is still uh, has two more. <laughs> I love how you immediately almost hit the. the He's totally the... my fave. Yeah. <laughs> He's uh, signed on for two more, so I guess he's gonna probably join that crew. You get the impression that Ramsey is probably gonna stick around. Oh my gosh! If they don't keep her, they're insane. I'm like, I really need, I really need Ramsey and Ludacris to hook up. Um, I really did too, but yeah. yeah, and it's like ever since Giselle left, and like Elena is not necessarily like a main character. Um, it's a total sausage fest. So um, <laughs> we definitely, we definitely need Ramsey to stick around. And I don't know. Do you do you think that they'll like kind of push Lucas Black into like the main role? Like they're kind of going to replace Paul Walker with Lucas Black, or? Do you think Lucas Black will be accrued into the team, but a different character who's already on the team will rise to be the the cohort, if you will? That's actually a really good question. Yeah, I don't know. Because the way I see it, you get the impression that Dominic and Letty probably, well, I wouldn't say they'd have a lesson role, but at this point, kind of like how Ramsey referred to them as like Alpha and Mrs. Alpha. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just sort of like, at this point, they're sort of like the parents of the series, in a way, a more of a mentoring role. Okay. Yeah, I could definitely see, like, Letty stepping up. Um, I'd love to see a female kind of become, like, the the go-to best friend. I don't know. I, I don't, I think, I think Jordana Brewster will maybe be an eight for, like, five seconds. You know, I don't think she's yeah. going to be, be in it for a while. But yeah, I don't know. I'd be happy with Ludacris. I'd love to see Ramsey just, like steal the series but they'll probably either choose lucas black or they'll choose somebody a little bit more seasoned in the in the friend group now i this is something i, I kind of debated within myself because i didn't think they'd do it out of respect okay. but i'm wondering because i've seen the one joke that they've made a lot is where they call the next one f8 which of course you know just sounds like fate <laughs> and I'm when I'm, which is funny. It's but at the same time, I'm wondering if that does get played into it a little bit, as if like for instance, because you're thinking to ourselves, how are they going to throw them back into the mix? But then I'm wondering what if they do something where you find out that maybe in the time they were away, something did happen to Brian that they go to avenge him. 
Oh, see, I didn't I didn't think that they were going to kill off Paul Walker's character. I thought they were just going to be like, you know, Brian's a dad now, you know, peace out. And the audience would just understand because Paul Walker isn't physically around anymore. Right. Um, it's, uh, I don't know. It's, I'm just I, trying I, to find reasons for them to kind of get thrust into another adventure because yeah. even if, let's say, um, Kurt Russell's character, even if, let's say, there's something going on with the government, I still don't see any reason for them to get involved unless it dealt with someone they knew. So I, I think that if they were going to kill Paul Walker's character, they would have done it in Seven. So okay. I don't think that they're going to kill him. I honestly think that, that Shaw is just going to wake up. I think that's eight. Shaw is going to wake up from his stupid coma. Which <laughs> is garbage because he totally should have died. And, you know, he's going to be like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you locked up my brother, Jason Statham, in prison, in this amazing prison. I'm going to break him out. And then he, you know, he breaks him out. And, like, then it's just the Shaw and Jason Statham show for eight and you know okay so now they got to deal with both of them right right and and kurt russell's gonna you know show up and and be awesome because he's kurt russell and i don't know i i kind of have been hearing a rumor that they're trying to get eva mendez um back for oh eight. yeah that's right i totally forgot about her i could definitely see her you know coming in make uh you know being in the mix maybe elena is gone right because she wanted to quit in seven anyway so Elena's right. gone. Eva Mendez is The Rock's partner now. And yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe there is another villain that they're teaming up with, Shaw and Jason. And then that's the villain for nine. Well, here's kind of what I'm thinking, though. Okay. That Kurt Russell, I guess, because did they ever... I, I keep forgetting, though, because I know he kind of works on one of those shadow branches where he's sort of off the grid. Right. Now, I'm wondering if it's one of those situations where he, I guess, rounds up the crew, so to speak, again. But yet, maybe even Mendez's character, of course, because there's always that one character who is on, I guess, one of the law that's, you know, always kind of chasing them because it was originally The Rock. Yeah. Or, I'm sorry, even well, I guess, no, even Mendez was sort of undercover, but then I guess The Rock was that guy in the fifth one. Then in the sixth, he was helping him. Then I guess even in seven, he was, even though he wasn't, like, officially... So I'm wondering if maybe Eva Mendez is now the person I guess maybe chasing them. Oh yeah, I mean I'm just she she definitely got promoted after two, <laughs> like you know like she was you know undercover. I mean undercover narco, I guess. Yeah, for like what eight years, and they're like they thought she had been. Yeah, and then she made like a huge bust, you know, thanks to Paul Walker and her her amazingness, and so she gets you know promoted. Um, you know, and that's why she brings up Letty to the rock and like, yeah, she's, she's probably made a pretty little career for herself if she's played her cards, right. If she's an actual real person. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's probably going to be like Eva or the, I mean, either way, Eva, the rock and Kurt Russell kind of, they don't all work for the same entity, but they kind of all work towards the same general purpose. So I could see them getting together and be like, Oh my gosh, we need Dom. I really wish that it wouldn't happen that way because that's the way that it happens for every single movie. I don't know. I'm kind of, I kind of think that like, it'd be really interesting if like Shaw and Jason Statham, like maybe kidnapped like Tyrese or. Yeah, it would have to be personal, I feel, because they couldn't recruit him for another job, but because I think that would be a little too redundant. 
Yeah, it would be really redundant. But in all honesty, it's such a successful franchise that they could do redundancy and it would still make a ton of money. So I don't know. It just depends on whether they're lazy or not. Well, considering the amount of money that Seven made, I mean... Oh my gosh! It's so much money. I was not. I was not expecting that at all. Have, so they. So they made three, and then they made four, and I actually thought it was like kind of a joke to begin with. I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, they're making a four. This is going to be hilarious. Yeah, and then it just like was super successful, and I think everybody just you know got all in. I do want to talk about something really quick. No problem. Whatever you want to bring up, go ahead. In um in seven, right? So okay. You know, Vin Diesel gets all, like, messed up from, like, an entire parking garage falling on him. (laughs) (laughs) As you do, you know. Yeah. (laughs) Who hasn't had that happen to them in their life? And then Letty remembers. She remembers her life, right? And she is like, oh, my gosh, me and Dom got married in, like, Puerto Rico or wherever the frack they were. I just cannot remember where they were. Um, you know, but they got married that night that she was like, ride or die, remember? And, um, you know, and then she, you know, they like Dom is like, I don't know, they get split up somehow. Right. And, you know, she's trying to bring it back. Um, but she hadn't remembered this. She remembers that they get married and she says, why didn't you tell me, Dom? Why didn't you tell me that we got married? And his answer was because you don't tell someone they love you. And I actually read this on Twitter and I couldn't agree more. They were like, life is really weird when Vin Diesel is the best example of consent, you know, because we like, we have all of these, you know, debates about like what consent is and like no means no. And, you know, we have, you know, we have this argument constantly, which is crazy, but it was just really interesting to see like, Someone be like, Vin Diesel is this like really great example of like empowering women and like giving them consent. I don't know. It was just like just this really funny thing. that I did hear something about that, but that is actually a really interesting thing because throughout that whole sort of subplot of her losing her memory. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there are parts where he does, I guess, try to, you know, hopefully trigger it's never done in because I'm sure you've seen a thousand and one stories, maybe even soap operas or whatever, where someone gets amnesia. It's almost annoyingly so, where you can tell the person probably doesn't even want their memory back by this point. Yeah, because it's just sort of constantly. <laughs> and it's so contrived, like it's so pushy. Like okay, yeah, it's a little. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, it was a little schmaltzy, you know, when she's giving that speech when he's unconscious or what have you. Right. But again, it's a movie. Sometimes you can't escape those things. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Right, but. <laughs> For the most part, though, it was surprisingly it was handled surprisingly well. Yeah, he kind and of. I was shocked at how well that worked. Yeah, it was cool. He he like lets her set her own pace. Um, you know, he doesn't pressure her. Like I'm, you know, he kind of like drops little hints or whatever. You know, but he he really isn't pushy, which I which I really really like. Even with the whole, because I'm sure if she does return, it's going to be one of the comedic foils between uh, Tyrese, Ludacris, and Ramsey. Where even, like, it's kind of great to have Ludacris there to keep Roman from just being Roman. Right. It's, <laughs> like, even when he does get, you know, out of his mind, there's still somebody that, that sort of reins him in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had to kind of just kind of grips with that. Yes, these are 
completely batshit insane movies where people are driving cars through skyscrapers in the middle of the desert or they're dropping them out of planes or what have you. But even for, you know, big budget action movies, the cast is surprisingly well-rounded. Yeah, and there there are a lot of really human moments that we get. Because um, sometimes in action movies, you know, it's like every character is played, you know, straight on and you don't really have a lot of you know, human moments with them or the human moments just seem really like pushed and contrived. And like, sometimes I do think that the dialogue between Ludacris and Tyrese could have like better timing and maybe seem a little bit more comfortable, but, um, sure. but yeah, I, I really like how, okay. So, so Vin Diesel actually kind of put it in a really good way. There was this, like this buzz of Vin Diesel saying, yeah, I think fast, like Furious seven should win an Oscar. And people were like, oh my gosh, are you serious? Like, I can't believe that you're serious. And like, everybody kind of laughed at his expense. Um, But when I was reading about his explanation, he said, "Um, a lot of times we give Oscars to movies with great cinematography, you know, and, and, you know, great soundtracks and, um, you know, just the artistic aspects. Um, But we don't ever consider how a movie makes us feel. Um, and I kind of totally agreed with him because I was like, a lot of times an Oscar movie is a good movie, but it like, it makes me feel uncomfortable or it makes me feel like crap or like, it's just this horribly sad story. And, and I understand that like every movie has its place and I definitely don't want to just watch movies that are, you know, candy and car crashes. Um, but he candy and car crashing. Yeah. I think I found my episode title. <laughs> but he, but he was like, we don't ever think about how, the way that movies make us feel. And honestly, like after the movie was done, I was like, wow, like I feel like like good. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it was a ridiculous story, but we had a lot of human moments. We had a lot of friendship moments. We had the moment where Paul Walker protects his son from a bomb. You know, we had the moment where we said goodbye to him. We had the moment where Letty remembers, you know, that they're married. And like, it. I don't know, there was just a lot of, they concentrate on just as much of the action as they do on the human relationships. And I think that that is also what makes the Fast and Furious franchise is so successful. Yeah, because even in movies, let's say, even, we'll take some of the lesser movies, like Too Fast and Furious, where, okay, you have Paul Walker sort of playing the straight character, where, of course, now his sidekick's the crazy one, you know, his old friend from jail, or his old friend who got arrested, you know, he sort of blamed him for it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you see even see that growth where even by the end of that movie, I generally kind of believe that these two used to be good friends that sort of, you know, kind of fell apart. Yeah, yeah. They... Or even like the, like, let's say even the somewhat like father-son vibe that Han and uh, Lucas Black's character. Yeah, or like, yeah, the the, the big brother kind of thing. It's, it's like, it's, it's not just about um, car crashes, uh, which is why you and I feel so awkward about Shaw and Jason Statham is because we don't get those human elements from them. You know, we, they don't have to be good human elements. Like we could get like really like we could get terrible motivations. We could get, you know, them growing up in like a really hard life. You know, we could, we could see why they're so motivated the way that they are, but we don't. And that's why they make us, feel so uncomfortable because they're too shallow of a character. Whereas like, we feel like we know, you know, Dom and Paul Walker, like we feel like we know them so well, but I think that we feel like we knew them well, even in the first one. Absolutely. Like, have you ever seen Daredevil, the Netflix show? 
Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Okay. You've seen it all the way through. Yeah. Okay, I, the reason why I kind of brought it up is good thing you did see that, because otherwise that would have been embarrassing. Right. <laughs> I think about the two, um, I feel like the Shaws should have been played kind of like the Russian brothers. Oh, okay. Yeah. Where, yes, you have these two deplorable people, they're at the drugs, weapon smuggling, human trafficking. These guys are the lowest of the low. But by the end of their story... I felt so bad for that one guy, the one that was with, um, the one that was with, uh, what's his name? Matt Murdock, where they, where they were in, like, this, the building, the one that got injured. Was that Dimitri? I think it was Dimitri, yeah, the blonde one. And you, like, like, you felt for these guys because here they are in jail and how close they were there, and yet, I'm like, damn it, they're making me feel bad for human traffickers, like, curse you. Because, yes, they're horrible people and the things that they do, but you get the fact that they're, there's still a close-knit bond between them. Yeah, that scene in jail, like when they're in that Russian prison was absolutely necessary because like you, yeah, you, you see these, these people and you hate them because they're horrible people, but you also like immediately understand like their determination to survive. Yeah, so like they're horrible it. people, but they're still people. Right, like, you you respect that, like, they never wanted to be there ever again, and they were going to do whatever they could to survive, and, like, I think everybody can relate to that. So, yeah, we we haven't had that scene with Shaw um, and Jason Statham, um, and, like, that's something that I think is actually necessary in order for Eight to connect again with the audience. Right, because I feel that I and I hope that they don't decide to take seven and see, you know, they'll see that they made all this money and use it as an excuse. Basically use them as set pieces without really giving anything to, any real depth to them. Okay. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. Which before we go though, my only question is who's Michelle Rodriguez gonna fight next? Because it's getting nuts. <laughs> Her her rogues gallery is getting out of hand. Right. Okay. Hold on. Let's do a quick like. Let's do like a quick rundown. Who did did she fight anybody in one? See, I don't remember. I remember she cursed out those two girls, the two blonde ones that were hanging out with. Uh... She called them skanks. Right. Mm -hmm. And then in four. See, four was kind of what bummed me out because she was one of my favorite characters. Yeah. And. I understand. Was that around? I think that was around the time I know she was like, you know, I think it was briefly on Lost. You know, she was in and out of jail. And I think, you know, something was going on where her role was reduced. Mm hmm. Okay. But it wasn't until I think, I guess, five and six that, you know, they kind of really sort of, no, I'm sorry, not five, but six where, you know, they really gave her something to chew on because she fought Gina Carano, who isn't she also in the UFC as well? She is. And then, yeah, in seven, she fought, um, Ronda Rousey, which I was actually really excited for, but Ronda Rousey was like so bad that like I it was just like I threw up in my mouth a little bit. Like it was just a... she's not an actress. And I found I found out at the hard way in Expendables three, <laughs> I... and I love her to death. I think she's amazing, but clearly that's not her forte. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean. Maybe. I don't know. Like, I kind of want to see a woman be a main villain. Like, I know that we have, we have stage them and we have Shaw who like, so the deck is kind of stacked already, but I really, I'd really like to see like them team up with a woman. And then in eight, they defeat Shaw and Jason Statham 
and the woman is the villain in the ninth one. We all assume that um, Eva Mendez, I guess, came back to, of course, you know, the FBI or whatever she got bumped up. But, I mean, who's to say that she, that was the name of the villain in Too Fast and Furious, but who's to say that she ever really stopped being a double agent? Oh, okay. I got you. I'd be down for that. I'd be down. I'd be down for a fight between Eva Mendes um, and Letty. And yeah, I would. I would love to see Eva Mendes kind of like go dark. Because I know that was sort of like the whole subplot where they weren't sure if she turned or not. Yeah, being like totally fine. But yeah, I don't know. I I think that. That would be really interesting, Adrian. I think they should take your advice. Oh my gosh. Like, you know what, though? It's crazy because I'm almost more excited about the next Fast and Furious than I am for, like, the next Avengers or Captain America. <laughs> and me, 15 years ago, would have laughed at myself. I was like, you idiot. This movie's never going to do well. Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. And it's it's a different flavor of pizza, if you will. I don't know. It's... I mean, the Avengers has um, a very specific place, whereas, like, I don't know, I think the I think the Fur- Furious fan tri- <laughs> franchise, um, the Avengers is like heroes that you always knew were going to be heroes, and they will continue to be heroes. Whereas Fast and Furious is like the villains that you like are rooting for. Like you were rooting for Vin Diesel from Square One, and you knew he was like the bad guy. I mean, not necessarily, like, the bad, bad guy. Like, he's not a bad person. But, like, he's he's obviously not, a, like, a law-abiding citizen. And, like, this is kind of, like, your favorite group of renegades. Yes, they're, um, because I'm sure by the time six came, um, six came along, you know, they were sort of deputized or what have you by the government in terms of getting to what they wanted. Mm-hmm. But I'd imagine the next two, you know, they go back to being straight outlaws again. Okay, I might be okay. I, I would kind of like to see that. Maybe Kurt Russell is hunting them. Maybe maybe Sean and Jason Statham set him up and they're on the road. I'd be okay with them. Yeah, there's so many ways they could go with this. And I've been, I, I kid you not, at least on a weekly basis, I'm looking for news on an eighth movie, which I guess what we'll have to do is we'll have to start recording like 15 minute news breaks. It's not even going to come out for like three years or something. Like it, it's going to be such a long wait. It's like, what, 2017? If it's that soon, I will be very surprised. I could have sworn I tweeted you the date, which I can't remember it right now, but it was pretty, it was, um, it's sooner than I thought. It was at least within, like, 2017. Really? Okay. Um, yeah, I would be totally okay with that. Oh, has an official release date, yep, and Paul Walker's brother Cody may have a role in it. Oh, shit, this changes everything. Um, I don't know if it's gonna be, like, a big role though like it might just it might just be like a they pan in on you know cody and georgiana brewster and he's all like oh they do like the digital thing again yeah he's like maybe i should go help dom and she's like you've been for dom like enough i don't know it would it would it would completely break like everything about her but or how batshit insane would it be, though, if they just took his brother and just put him in a movie and it's like turns out that Brian had this long-lost family that he didn't know about? That would be so ridiculous. It just might work. We all said that about Letty, you know, not dying, that we were all for when she came back. At this point, you know what? Eight's got to throw a curveball. They got to throw in something just so... just just so out there that you know what i have no choice but to accept it because i never would have thought about it yeah screw it like let's just 
like if we're going to jump the shark with action, we might as well just do it with everything else. Like let's say that Shaw and Jason Statham are players in the next one. Right. And they have the whole brother thing going on. And then like Cody shows up and he's like, Brian couldn't be here, but like, I don't, I don't know. Or maybe like, maybe they like, maybe Cody is like in it with the villains and they have to be like, I don't know. I don't know. I just can't, that like blew my brain. (laughs) I know. I might've actually thrown in too many curveballs at once. And like, I don't even know if I know how to like kind of reason that at all, but just, I don't know. It's gotta be something crazy. Yeah. I can't, I can't tell what's that right now. Okay. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. Would we help? We'll once there's like more information coming out, we'll have to reconvene because this is so much fun. Oh my gosh, absolutely! <laughs> I'm so happy that you love these movies as much as I do because, like, I'm I like I'm kind of I don't want to be ashamed about it, but like I feel. But why after- should we be? Because they're they're just it's it's fun, and I think you're just we as people, and I'm I'm just gonna say this, and I'll shut up. Okay. I think, you know, with movies the way they are now, and especially in the wake of superhero movies being, like, the new thing, there's sort of, like, this pushback, I think, from people who are kind of against it in a way that they feel that it's not legitimate cinema. And don't get me wrong, I love my... I I love my deep film. But I am also my father's son, and sometimes I just kind of want to watch stuff explode. Yeah. And if I can have some fun and get a little bit of enjoyment out of that where it's not so brain-numbing... I mean, why should we be ashamed of that? To me, I don't think there should be a thing called a secret shame. Like, if you like Fast and Furious, hell, proclaim it from the mountaintops. Right, I agree, yeah. No, yeah, it's like, sometimes you, um, we call it River Tam beats up everyone. Where it's like, <laughs> you just want to watch, you just want to watch River Tam beats up everyone. Um, and yeah, like, they're, I'm really excited about all the superhero movies, um, I do think that at some point, though, like people are going to be gravitating more towards um, other movies just because they'll, they'll get a little, you know, um, like eating soup every night for dinner. You know, people will want people will want other other representations. So. Right. I mean, I, yeah, as far as like that massive trend, I'm sure that'll go away at some point. Yeah. But again, at this point, I don't think anything's been as consistent. Seven movies in next to Harry Potter. Where other than Fast and Furious franchise, and I, I cannot cannot wait to see what they do with eight. If they do nine, they will have more movies than Harry Potter. I think they're already set for nine. I, I think that's the number they're reaching. Okay, maybe maybe eight and nine, like because it's kind of like a trilogy. I don't know. Maybe eight and nine will be a little bit more of like there will be a really open ending in eight. Maybe that's what they're planning. Instead of it being like a closed ending, but oh, somebody's in a coma, it'll be like a really open ending yeah because i know paul walker's death kind of probably changed their plans because i feel as though he would have probably because was he still with the fbi in seven no uh-uh it wasn't he wasn't with the fbi uh-uh okay so the, okay that takes that out of the equation mm-hmm. i guess we'll have to wait and see and like i said i'll be checking the news <laughs> for like the next two years two and a half years. all right and when news comes out we'll just have to geek out on each other and be like did you hear this <laughs> <laughs> well, before you go, though, and I feel so bad we've been talking about cars crashing so much, I didn't even do a good enough job of telling everybody about your gig because you're still on a works on issue two of Flat Check Theories. Yes, I'm working on issue two. I'm inking it. So, yeah, it, I'm, I'm trying to get it done before I go to Kansas City Comic Con in August. And I'm also going to Salt Lake 
Comic-Con this year. So yeah, that'll be really exciting. And um, yeah, for those listening, you can check out my comic at flattrackfuries.com. Right. Thank you so much. You've been, this has been a blast. And now watch what's going to happen is I, I hope you don't mind because I'm going to end up rewatching these movies <laughs> and then tweet you with new ideas. You <laughs> might, you're, you're probably going to block me on Twitter. No, I totally won't. I will humor you the entire, like, like we're, we're like enablers at this point. Yeah. Because yeah. as I'm watching the first one, I'm like, what if John Rule somehow comes back? <laughs> John Rule. Oh my God. Oh, yeah. oh man. Oh. Please not well, as a main character. <laughs> like he comes back as a cyborg. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shoot. Well, that'll do it for Adrian Has Issues. <laughs> I'm Adrian. <laughs> I can't even do the outro. I'm sorry. I just thought about that. I laughed too hard on my own joke. Okay. All right. We'll see you next issue. All right. See ya. <laughs> <laughs>